When I was visiting the museum for some interviews with visitors, someone came up to me and asked me if they could tell me something that stood out to them in the exhibition. I'm actually, because this is really, really interesting, because all of these, like the intersections of like technology and like post-gender like imaginations and stuff, uh, I'm actually transgender myself and I'm writing an essay about like the conception of transness as alien. So like in the, the form of like being other. So this is absolutely within the theme of what I'm writing about. So the idea of actually con just conceiving like some sort of creature like that's semi-technological or something and that's not a man, not a woman, but that, that has these kinds of like masculine and feminine attributes that blend perfectly into each other and that represents nothing and everything at the same time. It's a new or queer experience, basically. This was unexpected, but very to the point. Because what this visitor is saying is exactly what we will discuss in this episode. How can digital art, using a binary of zeros and ones, create creatures and identities that take a step back from gender as a binary between male and female? Welcome to the fifth episode of But Is It Art Season 2, a podcast by Next Museum in Amsterdam, the home of new media art at the intersection of art, science, sound, and tech. This episode, we're continuing the topic of self-exploration as we're talking about binary art creating a more fluid gender. How are artists weaving in the topic of gender in their work? How have new digital tools changed the way gender is tackled in art? How does gender play a role in the artistic industry? And how can new media art be a way of exploring gender? This episode features the artists Harriet Davy, The Fabricant and Jacoby Satterwhite. When we think of otherworldly digital beings like the visitor pointed out, Beatrix comes to mind immediately. This avatar by Harriet Davy that serves as a guide through the exhibition really floats between genders. A figure with pink, shimmering, shiny skin, feet that look like hoofs, broad shoulders, elfin ears, almond-shaped sphinx-like eyes facial features like that of an avatar, and their looks change along the way. But appearance isn't the only thing when it comes to gender. This is artist Harriet Davy. I think it's it's also about their actions and I'm kind of I'm doing a lot of the actions myself. Like I uh, have a face motion cap. I mean it's not just the physical like how they how they look, it's also this kind of feeling and the way that they move. It's also not quite myself and I feel like I was playing this character and really imagining how how it was to be them. I think that a lot of the movements, because they're coming from me and I was like classically trained in ballet, that I have a lot of these kind of smooth flowing movements. So I think there's something there as well. Beatrix, this pink digital being, also comes across genderless or gender fluid in the way they move. Part of that is maybe because Beatrix is also a reflection of Harriet, as we saw in last episode. And Harriet, too, is non-binary. Through their background in ballet, which is still a very gendered art form, Harriet might have given Beatrix a more stereotypically feminine movement quality. 
but not necessarily I would say because I when I was a kid I was like I don't want to do ballet I don't want to wear pink like I don't want to do it. it's a girly thing and then I went to an open day and I saw a class of all boys doing ballet and I was like actually okay maybe I'm into this and I was always more into not like the because there is this kind of balance of gender in ballet like the men have steps that they do and the women have steps that they do and I did stuff in point shoes and things which only women do in ballet but then I was also always interested in by the like jumps and the crazy stuff that the men were doing so yeah like it, it does have these binaries but there's there's definitely things in between I also did ballet for about 14 years and as the only boy in a class full of girls I was taught the more graceful and flowy movements that my peers did as well as the powerful spectacular movements designed for men. Ballet was for me the first time I was challenging gender stereotypes and that might be the case for many children but Beatrix is not a ballet dancer they're not even human so I wonder when we're talking about a non-human, do our conceptions of gender even exist? I would I would love to think that they have a completely different idea of it. But it's also interesting, like when you see, particularly in games, like game designers making other races like orcs or goblins or something, it's like the male one is always hyper-masculine and then the female one, they put boobs on it. It's like, an orc is not necessarily going to have breasts in the same way that, you know, okay, a female cow has udders, but they don't look like human breasts at all. And it's it's always been quite fascinating to me that they do these like anthropomorphic features, but really hyper-masculine and hyper-feminine. Uh, and I think that aliens would have a representation of of sex that humans don't even have or we've never even thought of. By bringing these different ideas about gender to our world through their art, Harriet is challenging the gender binary still present in everyday life. The idea that we are either man or woman, the idea that we cannot grow into our gender, that we cannot explore our gender, the idea that gender is not fluid. Harriet is not the only one challenging gender in their art. Many artists use new media and new technologies to create art that defies the gender binary. Just in the exhibition Unidentified Fluid Other alone, there are about five artists incorporating the theme of gender in their work. Firstly, we have Lu Yang and his artwork Great Adventures of Material World. He does not want to be categorized as just a female artist or a male artist. And he uses his avatars as a way to escape this binary. In his video game, the characters are also gender fluid and genderless. And his work isn't just about this genderlessness. It's about existential questions from Buddhism that he wants to bring back. He uses his avatars as a way to tackle these questions that, just like Luyang, don't seem to be bound by gender. Or Jacobi Satterwhite with his artwork Birds in Paradise. He is a queer artist through and through, bringing the voguing and ball scene to the museum space. This is a scene that was founded by trans performers. 
people living in the margins of the normative world because they do not fit into the gender binary. We'll talk about this a bit more later on. Artwork New Radio World Tour by artist Ocean is a satirical world full of lore and characters. Most of these characters are not human, so they are not bound by human gender either. And lastly, we have The Fabricant, the digital fashion collective making garments for your digital self or your avatar. I asked Amber J. Sloten, the co-founder and creative director of The Fabricant, to explain how fluidity is apparent in their work. To me, the concept of fluidity is extremely interesting because we are never the same person every day, right? We change all the time and we shift from things. And one day we like this color and the other day we like the other color. And it's just to me, like identity is way more fluid than we think it is because we're all set and stuck on like, okay, I am this or I am that. And to me, that is that concept of like I am is again, you know, kind of the base of things like you are, of course, developing yourself over time. And I think the fluidity aspect is, you know, where we really allow people to develop themselves in whatever way they want and experiment. And part of this self-exploration is trying out garments that may not be perceived as suitable for your gender. Some might be perceived as masculine and some as more feminine. And this can be very meaningful to people figuring out their gender. Yeah, I think it's just more of the fact that you're able to wear whatever you want, right? So you are able to try on these different things. You're able to experiment with your identity. Like for me, anyway, clothes are not gendered. Like you can wear whatever you want. It's more of the energy with which you wear it. You know, if you wear a very flowy dress and you feel like walking around very flowy, you know, that could be a very feminine expression of who you are. Um, but for me, feminine, masculine are also types of energies, let's say, that we have in ourselves. And they are always changing and always fluid and always different. And we can use them to our own abilities or to our own aspects. You can also call them yin or yang, you know, like there is, you know, maybe different terms for it. And there's people who feel more comfortable with the feminine expression. There's people who feel more comfortable with masculine expression. And there's people who feel more comfortable with being fluid between both of those all the time. And um, I think that is really for people to figure out themselves what they feel more comfortable with. But what I do want to do is um, create, open up people's horizons more on what these different energies are. And when you stand in front of the screen wearing a dress, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel about yourself does that degrade your masculinity or does it add something to discover what is your feminine side you know like and how can you use that energy of your femininity more in your life digital fashion is therefore a very accessible way of exploring these masculine and feminine energies but it's not the only digital art form to do so here is harriet davy again yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily that fashion digitally is is interesting for gender online. It's just that anything digital is good. Like we have even things like face filters have given people a lot of chance to kind of move their face around and, and see and give them gender euphoria. And 
there's there's also a flip side to that like there's people then going and taking their selfies to plastic surgeons and at the age of 20 or something uh and i think that maybe with digital fashion there's a really amazing side like that but maybe there is also this kind of flip side because this was something i was thinking about like four years ago is that we have all these beautifying face filters the face filters when they're invented or concept like first kind of came popular it was seen as like a makeup replacement um or fun things to do with the face and now we have all these beautifying ones and fashion you know at the beginning it's seen as this fun replacement to fashion but how long until we have like full body morphing uh filters i think it's probably already here Why is gender so prevalent in new media art? Well, when creating digital characters for your art, the question of gender is inevitable. Harriet, who works with 3D modeling software, always has to make a decision about the gender of their avatars. When I'm making characters, I start with like a base human mesh and I always start with the female one. Uh, and then, well, not always, but normally. Maybe it it really is just that I feel more comfortable working with a body that is female to start off with and, and then I change it. Whether you choose a female or a male body is already a statement, according to Harriet. I think it's the same in like fashion, you know, like if you are someone who is a man, but you're dressing more feminine, that's more of a statement than if you're a woman dressing more masculine. And maybe there's something there with like, if there was a a really masculine looking figure in 3D, but they just have long hair, it immediately makes them feel more feminine, but to do the same in the opposite direction, like Beatrix is bald and there's there's obviously a lot more bald men in the world. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it then comes down to like our own kind of ideas of of what is extreme between one thing and one gender that, that we're used to seeing in the physical. And not only the characters they create are very gendered, the whole 3D modeling industry is very gendered too. I mean, at some point it got to me though that I realized, I kind of sat down, I was watching another tutorial and I was like, I've really never watched a tutorial that's not been done by a white dude. And I was like, this is this is crazy. I, I've, I've never seen any other industry that's been like so, so focused. Like, you know, I feel like there's normally a little bit of representation, but just not seeing a tutorial by Ewan that didn't fit that bill. I was kind of like dumbfounded. And it was that point that I then was like, well, I'm going to start doing tutorials in some capacity. And I started doing Twitch streams and just putting out my workflow. And since then, I've seen a lot of other people now who have started, which especially from like the digital community, which is just being amazing to see and being able to support them and, and watch their tutorials has given me a lot of joy. The 3D modeling collective, which Harriet is a part of, called Digigal, is kind of a counter movement to the current standard in the industry. The cis, hetero, white, male. And because of this, the avatars that are the most visible are the ones made by those men. And that's obvious to Harriet. A lot of us use uh, the same software. It's called, well, there's a few different character creating software. There's DAS Studio, which is the one that I work with. Uh, it's like a freemium thing. So you have a free base model, a male and a female. 
they used to have a single human, which you could then slide more masculine and feminine. And then they upgraded it because they realized they could sell everything twice. And the problem is the default free character you get of a of a female figure in Daz is like this gorgeous, athletic, very physically abled woman, big boobs, bald, because it's you've got to pay extra for the hair, uh, or make it yourself, which is not so easy. Um, and so especially with the explosion of the NFT space, there's a lot of people kind of uh, getting into 3D art, which is great. You know, I'm happy for people to be getting into it, but they're also coming in and trying to make work as quickly as possible. And they're making work that they know will sell because it appeals to the majority audience, which is also straight men. And there's just thousands and thousands of artworks out there with these soulless default female bald figures. I think a lot of people who are making things on Daz Studio, making it for virtual porn, another crazy side of things. And it was just so obvious that I, I can look at an artwork and I know if it's got a if it's got a figure in it, I know if it's made by a man. Basically, these avatars are subject to the male gaze. If you're not familiar with this term, it might open up a world for you, as it did for me. It's a term that was popularized by media scholar Laura Mulvey, where she found that women in film are always written and portrayed for a straight male viewer. The woman always serves a purpose for the man, be it a voyeuristic object or a damsel in distress for the male hero to save. I'll give the word to Laura Mulvey herself to explain how she found out about the male gaze. I was part of a group which has been very much discussed, a certain amount written about, called either the History Group or the Feminist Studies Group. Um, and that was where, among a number of other theoretical writers, we started to read Freud, and that had an, a, an immediate uh, influence. I mean, it was almost as though Freud could offer a vocabulary and a way of thinking about gender and sexuality that we had, that we needed, without necessarily agreeing with everything that he'd said, uh, we could find ways of articulating the questions and the issues that we were interested in. By the time I wrote Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema, Hollywood cinema was very much the backdrop with which I could work. Um, it was as though Hollywood laid itself out like a beautiful backdrop, kind of almost inviting um, psychoanalytic and feminist um, critical analysis. The, the voyeurism, the place of the um, male star protagonist in fighting off being the object of the gaze and creating the energy of the story, the woman as spectacle, it was somehow all there in a way that other cinemas it wasn't. Ever since Laura Mulvey popularized the term male gaze, Hollywood has made some changes. But new media emerged and boomed, and women were once again susceptible to this male gaze. Women on social media, female characters in video games, and 3D modeled avatars. Contrary to the male gaze is the female gaze, also coined by Laura Mulvey. Here the woman is portrayed as a character with agency not in service of a man. 
And you don't have to be female to write female characters with a female gaze. You just need to give your female characters the same treatment you would give your male characters. Or just get rid of gender altogether, like Harriet did. Another reason why gender is so important in new media art is because art is also an industry. As we saw with 3D modeling, there's a plethora of cishet white men thriving in the industry. And queer artists, artists of color and female artists are still the victim of wage gaps and workplace discrimination. But within art, there has always been a space for queer people and experimentation. Jacobi, the artist who brings voguing elements to his art, works and lives in one of those spaces. Listen to him talking about the clubbing environment that inspired him to make art. I was getting to know a lot of headless, interesting people. People who were like broken and queer, but like geniuses and were future leaders of the world and future leading artists of the world and future designers that like everyone would know and like control everything. Um, all those people who like would go to these underground nightclubs, specifically this one called Spectrum, that's that marginally exists still, but it, it was closed down three times because they didn't have a liquor license and it was open in like abandoned houses and stuff. And I, uh, you know, people from Juliana Huxtable to I remember Bjork came there to DJ one time. I mean, Wolfgang Tillman's photographed me blackout drunk. I didn't know the picture was taken until four years later, and then I used it for my album cover, but. The point is that like this space was sort of like it just like it incubated so many important queer minds and figures that I felt like paying a secret homage to it. For some, it might be obvious, but there is a very strong bond between queerness and gender. Queerness is a celebration of all sexualities and genders, and it vouches for a world without labels. So creating queer art is automatically creating gender-fluid art. And contemporary art thrives in queer spaces like Jacobi's. Working at Next Museum, I noticed that it is actually a very queer space too, with so many queer people working there. I asked two of my colleagues, Lucas and Mikkel, both queer people, how art and queerness are related to them. Art did have an impact when I was coming out of the closet because when you realize that like aesthetics is part of the politics and politics is part of the mainstream wellness and then in vice versa you realize uh, how much of straight aesthetics is around and when you see something that is uh, queer and then can embrace this feeling that you don't know what it is it definitely put you in a in a way in a place you feel like safe, you feel belong, yeah, like belonging in a way as well. Of course, I was always looking for some shelter, I would say, in validating my identity, right? And my desire. So that would be in film and TV shows. Maybe it's not like the typical art that we think about, but for me, it was very much that. It was um, seeing myself represented 
uh, in TV shows and movies was really, really important to understand that my experience was not one alone and that there were other people out there feeling similar to me. I remember pretty much that I, there was this soap opera in Brazil called America. That's a, this about the, the American dream, traveling to the United States and getting a job and get money. And there, was, there, there, were, there was this uh, gay character. And then I remember my mom say, if that time I was like 16 years old and I wasn't out yet. And then my mom said to me, yeah, if you have any, anyone gay in our family, it would be fine. So I would say that art did have a really important like role in my journey. Of course, there were like many other things like my friends and the people that I knew and the books that I was reading, especially like feminist and queer theory. But yeah, when I was alone, in the end, looking and watching these TV shows and movies uh, was a way of like comforting myself as well and almost reassuring myself and my identity and who I was. Art is and will always be a medium to explore gender. And that is art in all its forms, from TV shows to video games and performance art. New media art is just another tool to play around with it and to defy the binary, even though the art itself lives in a binary world. Or is it not just confined to the binary realm? Let's find out in the next episode, The Artist as a Bridge. Thank you so much for listening to this fifth episode of But Is It Art? And a special thank you to my colleagues for their contribution. Next and final episode, we'll be wrapping things up with a topic that has been looming over every episode. The hybrid between the digital and the physical. How do artists make a bridge between this physical world and the digital world? And will there ever be a shift to either one of them completely? All the artworks featured in this podcast are exhibited in Unidentified Fluid Other at Next Museum. Hope to see you there. <laughs>